Hi, this is Rhiannon Angel. I play Nia and several other characters on the Once and Future Nerd, and also help write the show. If you found your way to this episode from our welcome page, or from anywhere else, really, that's awesome. This is the best place to start the show. You're going to hear our first six episodes, comprising our first chapter, all in one without any interruption, which, surprise, surprise, will introduce you to all of our biggest characters and bring you right up to the spot where our plot really pops off. If you enjoy it, head on over to onceandfuturenerd.com slash episode hyphen guide to see where to go next. But for now, just enjoy the show. Imagine, if you can, what life is like for a rabbit. Imagine what it means to be vulnerable all your life. Which is my very poetic way of saying that life's hard for a rabbit. Life's also hard for a small business owner who accidentally witnesses the death of God. But I'd rather start with the rabbit. This particular story begins with a rabbit who is called... Hmm, let me come back to what he was called. The Speech of the Sprites. I'm a wood sprite, you see. Is a very old tongue. It was never known by the wood folk or the river folk. Even the fearsome and venerable mountain folk have long since forgotten it. But it is still the tongue in which all life forms that lack the organs of speech can commune, and we, the wood sprites, hear all. The name of this particular rabbit in the speech of the sprites is best translated as Mr. Fluffy Toes. Mr. Fluffy Toes had been having a good day. He had eaten a few solid meals and avoided detection by an owl through skillful burrowing. He had taken to foraging for another meal in the magical din of the nocturnal forest. So you can imagine his disappointment when, out of nowhere, an arrow flew through his ribcage and punctured his liver. You've got to be shitting me, thought Mr. Fluffy Toes, approximately. It couldn't have been at least a decent hunter? At least owls know how to stun and kill quickly. In his defense, the bowman, who was called Peter of Brimshire, never claimed to be a good hunter. Peter owned an inn, which was in a rather remote location. Apparently, Peter of Brimshire had never heard the adage, location, location, location. And if truth be told, Peter was not very smart. A decent man, to be sure, but not what you might call sharp. Indeed, Peter was not nearly as smart relative to other men as Mr. Fluffy Toes was relative to other rabbits. It actually makes the whole thing seem kind of unfair. Then again, Peter was not nearly as prolifically successful a procreator as Mr. Fluffy Toes, so win some, lose some. But I digress. Peter of Brimshire would not normally have been out hunting, least of all at this hour. But the remoteness of Peter's inn meant that when a nobleman of no small wealth and power asked for a room, 
Peter was strongly inclined to cater to his every whim, including his bizarre request for rabbit stew in the middle of the night. He was actually surprised when he made the shot. He had removed the arrow and was about to start skinning the mortal remains of the late Mr. Fluffy Toes when the faint orange glow of fire off in the distance caught his attention. He crept clumsily towards the glow and found it to be coming from a clearing. Peeking into the clearing, he saw a vat of burning oil casting an angry orange light around the trees. From among the trees emerged a figure in a black hooded cloak, its face invisible. Peter quickly ducked back into hiding and then slowly peeked back out. Dozens more cloaked figures emerged from the woods and gathered around the edge of the clearing. Four broke through the crowd, dragging behind them a man in chains. It was all Peter could do not to cry out in alarm, for the chained man was the very nobleman who had sent him out rabbit hunting, the crest of House Gwernathal emblazoned proudly on his chest. It occurred to Peter that this entire hunting trip had been for naught. It did not occur to Peter that, had he not gone hunting, he would have been at his inn when the scary cloaked things came to abduct his guest. As I said, not too clever, that Peter of Brimshire. Where was I? Oh, yes, the figures in cloaks. They drew Peter's wealthy guest down and nailed his chains to the ground with iron stakes so that his limbs were splayed apart. Two of the wraith-like things knelt by his wrists with daggers, while a third one, larger than the rest, unsheathed a two-handed sword. Peter's sense of duty overcame his earlier selfish thoughts. He could not sit idly by while the High Prince, his High Prince, was murdered. With a shaking hand, he reached for an arrow. That's when the fear paralyzed him. Because at that moment, an awed silence came over the cloaked congregation. They parted to make way for another figure, slight of stature and feminine of gait. Her appearance was not what petrified Peter, but rather the staff she carried. It was sharpened at the bottom, and the markings on it were wrong. The shapes on it were not things that should be, at least in Peter's mind. She removed her hood, but her back was to Peter. She was too far away for Peter to hear the following exchange, but we sprites, as I said, hear all. Not your most imaginative work. You haven't seen the interesting part yet. See you soon, my dear. Will you now? The woman nodded, and with chilly resolve, her minions opened the chained man's wrists as the greatsword came down on his neck. The pointed end of the eldritch staff pierced his heart. The last thing Peter of Brimshaw's eyes ever saw was a flash of brilliant light. Somewhere, not so very far away, a newborn infant slid through a flash of brilliant light 
and into the world. The Once and Future Nerd Book One, Princes of Jordan Chapter One, The Prince of Jordan Episode 1 Until indicated otherwise, what follows is admittedly hearsay. I have it from a friend sprite. A toilet seat bacteria sprite, if you must know. For indeed, even among the sprites, some draw the short straw career-wise. But my friend is honest and not overly prone to exaggeration, so I shall relay her story to you and you may take it as salted as you please. My friend lives in a land that is called Northeast Pennsylvania by its inhabitants. In this land, there is a school, and in this school there is a bathroom with several toilet stalls. The story my friend told begins with a boy and a girl in one of those toilet stalls. They had 17 and 16 years, and were called Billy and Jen, respectively. He wore a red and gold jacket, which signified his captaincy of the school's football team. And she wore the traditional garments of what is called a cheerleader, also in red and gold. They were both quite handsome and well-formed of body, and were thus drawn to each other as humans of that age are wont to be. Are you sure about this, Billy? Babe, I told you it'd be all right, didn't I? But, but what if... Billy pulled her in for a kiss, and she quickly forgot her reservations. Until, that is, the door of the bathroom flew open. Several athletes marched in, teammates of Billy's, in fact, carrying another boy by the collar of his red button-down short-sleeved shirt. This boy was called Nelson. He had 16 years, dark skin, and wore spectacles. The athletes threw him down onto the windowsill. You fucked me over, you little shit. I was counting on your answers to pass pre-calc. Now I can't play this weekend. Nelson knew it was in his best interest to remain silent or possibly apologize, but could not stop himself from blurting out... I'm not even good at math. Maybe you should do your own work. What the fuck was that? You gotta watch your mouth, faggot. Nelson looked frantically for some means of escape. He saw a device built for alerting people to a fire and activated it. An ear-piercing bell rang out. Shit, man. We should bail. We'll get you later, Queermo. As the athletes scattered, Nelson breathed a sigh of relief. Billy popped his head out of the toilet stall. The hell's going on out here? In marched a stern-looking man who was called Archibald Connor, but who demanded the students call him Principal Connor. Billy and Jen dove back into their stall and closed the door before he saw them. For what they had been doing was counter to rules enforced by Archibald Connor. What in God's name? Nelson, who pulled that alarm? Connor looked on the floor under the stall, but could only see Billy's legs. Is that you, Williams? It's me, Principal Connor, sir. Connor reached up to the wall and shut off the warning device. You set off that alarm, Williams. 
It was me. Nonsense, son. Don't insult my intelligence. But Principal Connor... I'll hear no more of it. You don't have to cover for him. Captain of the football team isn't above the rules. But it really was me. You see, I was... It was! Well, I must say, I'm very disappointed in you. I was more than happy to set you up with counseling for your trouble socializing and poor grades. Well, I do my... But we can't stand for you endangering other students. For shame. Oh, well. Detention for you. But it was only in self defense No excuses, young man. We've got a zero-tolerance policy here. If I make an exception for you, I'll need to make one for everyone. Hey, Williams. I also need to talk to that idiot sinner of yours. He hasn't been in here recently, has he? Just me. You want to help me hold it? Enraged by this show of disrespect, Connor burst into an adjacent stall, climbed onto the toilet, and peered over the divider to see Jen crouched on top of the toilet. She looked mortified. Now, in the land of northeast Pennsylvania, students were commonly punished by being forced to stay at school when their classmates had left, typically while confined to a particularly boring area of the school. For those wishing to learn more about this custom, my friend tells me the definitive text on the matter was penned by a bard called John Hughes. So it was that Billy, Jen, and Nelson found themselves incarcerated in the library of Valley Central High School one fateful afternoon. With them were their personal effects, namely Billy's sporting armour or football pads, Jen's collection of assorted accoutrements in a handbag, and Nelson's gaming token which was called a D20 by those skilled in its use, and which he wore in a vial around his neck. Also with them, less importantly, was one more detained student who... Well, let's just call him a herbalist who had become overfond of certain plants. On a library table in front of Nelson were several writing utensils, which Nelson had arranged in order of size and colour. For you see, a tiny part of Nelson's mind the part that men cannot or will not speak of, feared that if certain things were not in a certain order, some calamity would befall him. But more on that later. Jen examined herself in a small looking-glass or compact and fixed her hair nervously. This is bullshit. I need to be at practice. I can't believe he caught us making out. Oh my god, Shannon's never going to let me live this down. Jen threw her compact into her handbag. I told you she was a bitch. Yeah, but she's still captain. She's captain because she's a bitch. She's captain because she's skinnier than me. Nah, babe. You're way prettier. Girls just love picking on each other. Hey, why'd you have to pull that alarm? I should kick your nerd ass. Your teammates were in the process of assaulting me. I didn't even know you were in there. Nelson grimaced again at his own candor. Hey, watch your tone. Nelson lowered his eyes and kept them down. The herbalist removed a dessert infused with his favorite plant from his backpack and took a bite. You must have did something to deserve it anyway. Aw, Billy, I don't think Nelson meant to cause trouble. Hey, I don't need you taking his fucking side. Jen also lowered her eyes. We don't need you to throw so many fucking interceptions. The fuck did you just say, Dennis? My guild needs me. 
What? My World of Warcraft guild is going on a huge raid in 12 minutes, and they're counting on me. I'm the raid leader. Billy stared at him for a few seconds, before making a hand gesture that simulated self-gratification. I can't believe I'm thinking of doing this, but maybe I can give Charles my login? As Nelson got up and walked towards a machine called a computer, there was a flash of lightning and a rumble of thunder. At least you're not missing practice anymore. Fuck that. I'm not scared of some rain. God damn it. Principal Connor must have had him cut off the internet after school hours. Jen pulled some lipstick out of her handbag and applied it. God damn it. Come on. Damn it. Nelson, in his frustration, proceeded to make an obnoxious racket on the computer machine. Fuck shit. Fuck. Come on. You're a nerd. Can't you just reroute the encryptions or some shit like that and shut up about it? Oh, oh, I see. You must have been taken in by the popular misconception that everyone smart knows how to hack a computer. Or that computer hacking is magic. Or that in encryptions or a thing that can be rerouted. It was a particularly violent thunderclap, which startled Jen into dropping her lipstick and somehow extinguished the lights. My friend has not explained to me how exactly this happens. Everyone stay calm. I always have a flashlight in my backpack. Nelson walked back to his table and rummaged through his belongings. Did anyone see where my lipstick fell? Jen got up to look. Some real quality shit you got in here, Connor. I think it rolled over here somewhere. She bent down to look for it under some desks. I got it. The lights popped back on, and as Nelson looked up, his eyes were drawn straight to Jen's posterior, which she was holding up in the air as she looked for her lipstick. Billy's attention was similarly captured. But as soon as he realized that Nelson was looking... Hey! Jen started at this eruption, jumped up, and bumped her head. Ow! Shit! What the fuck, you little perv? Oblivious to Jen, Billy grabbed Nelson's collar with one hand and made the other into a fist. What do you take me for, looking at my woman like that? Jen ran over and got between them. Billy, take it easy. You stay out of this, Jenny. Despite the imminent threat of bodily harm, Nelson's gaze had drifted out the window, where he realized that the sun was out and the sky was bluer than he had ever seen it. Then there was an enormous thundercrack. The sky changed back to stormy. A lightning bolt burst through the window and immolated Billy, Jen and Nelson and their belongings in a blinding pillar of light. As the light faded away, an unnatural fire broke out in the library, spread, and then extinguished as quickly as it had appeared. At this point, I'm told, the herbalist very quickly put away his dessert and looked around warily for several moments. Thus concludes the hearsay portion of this story, at least for a while. I can tell you firsthand about the bedchambers of Dagmar Guernatal, nay Greenhorn, who was called High Queen of the Human Realms of Jordan. I can tell you of how the curtains were drawn, and the lavish room dank and dark, on the day that her lifeblood ran out of her womb. I can tell you about the philosopher, who held a mirror under her pale nose, hoping against his better knowledge to see it fog. And I can tell you about Brennan, the base-born warrior whose battlefield exploits as a young man had earned him a generalship and a seat at the High King's right hand 
and not a few scars, but never lands or a title. And now, in his sixth decade of life, it fell to Brennan to tell Gunther Gwernatal, who was called High King of the Human Realms of Jordan, of his young wife's untimely demise. King Gunther had reached his seventh decade, but not easily. His body was sound for his age, but his face had the weary look of a man who has seen too much tragedy. When Brennan told him of his queen, he winced as though he had just been mortally wounded. And the child? I am sorry, Your Grace. You know I grieve with you. Why, old friend? Why has Galadin forsaken us? Soldiers cannot concern themselves with the will of the gods, only that of their king. They will come, General. Yes, Your Grace, as soon as they find out. How long to mobilize and arm the reserves? With fortune on our sides, two or three days. Then we must conceal it at least that long. The Tarlow Hill must not find out. Station our most loyal men at the gates, no one in or out of the inner hold without my orders. It will be done, Your Grace. And Brennan, tell all our patrolmen garrison in the village. Be on high alert for any unfamiliar travelers. And it was around that time that there was a flash in the sky, above a forest a few miles from Guernatal's castle. Down tumbled three young human bodies, their falls slowed by the branches and bramble. Slowed enough that the impact wasn't fatal, but not so much that they didn't lose consciousness when they hit the ground. And as you may have guessed, if you've a flair for the dramatic... Those bodies belonged to Billy, Jen, and Nelson. It was a little before dusk when Jen began to stir. She was the first of the three to come to, as they had all suffered quite a fall, you remember. She sat up, bruised in places she didn't realize could bruise. Billy? Hey, hey, Billy. Uh. Oh, oh. Nelson? Are you alright? Where the hell are we? From the looks of it, a wooded area in a northern temperate zone. Oh, these, these trees are so pretty. <clears throat> Billy? Do we win, coach? Billy, Billy, wake up. Shit. Oh, you, you okay, babe? I don't think I'm hurt, but where are we? Okay, what's the last thing you remember? Your butt cheeks. Billy, taking this as a personal slight, found it in himself to throw a handful of dirt in Nelson's general direction while remaining prone. Kowalski. I remember being in detention with Dennis Kowalski. That freak must have slipped us something. The sun's still up, so I don't think we've been out that long. Oh, what time is it? Going by the sun, it can't be much past six, can it? No, no. Oh, shit. I missed the raid. My guild will be furious. They might kick me out. Billy dragged himself to his feet. 
Don't worry, Jen. I used to go hunting with my uncle. Now the sun's setting that way, and the moss is growing that way, which means... I don't know if you can go by that. I think we read in bio class about lots of things determining moss growth, didn't we? Be quiet, Jenny. I need to think. Okay, so what direction from school are the woods? All of them. We're from Nepa. Right. All of them. <gasps> Jen, what? Shh. Did you guys feel anything? Billy and Nelson shook their heads no. They all sat in silence for several long seconds as Jen collected herself. I could have sworn this log just moved. Don't be silly, babe. You're just... Jen was lifted into the air and thrown down by the log, which, if you hadn't guessed, was in fact a massive serpent with skin-like tree bark. The three young travellers looked up, petrified, as the beast poised to strike, when suddenly there was a wet thud. An arrow had embedded itself very deep into the serpent's eye. The creature, to its credit, managed to continue resembling a tree trunk as it crashed to the ground, stiff and dead. (laughs) Holy shit. We're all right, babe. What the hell was that thing? Maybe we're in New Jersey. What are you doing out here? Bounding down from the trees, bow in hand, came an elf. If you've never seen an elf on the hunt, the best I can do by way of description is to ask you to imagine the speed, grace, and strength of a panther was somehow transferred into a man-shaped body. Like all elves, he had pale skin, His long, blonde hair was tied into several beaded braids, as was fashionable at the time for adolescent elves. What are you doing out here? And what in Selberin are you wearing? At 173 years old, this elf, who was called Yiluin, was at a particularly obnoxious stage of elvish adolescence. I've been out here for three days tracking that kill. You nearly scared her off. Wow, this is the best cosplay I've ever seen. I can't even see the seams on your ears. Are those latex or polystyrene? Yes, well. All's well that ends well, I suppose. She'll still make a very fine trophy. He knelt by the head of the snake and unsheathed a golden hunting knife of elven design. As Billy pulled Jen aside for a private conversation, Nelson noticed the ornate carvings on Yiluin's bow. That bow is amazing. Where is it from? The sacred wood of the White Forest. Is that that kiosk at the mall in Scranton? Yiluin began to saw through the neck of the serpent with his knife. Now, at that time, Yiluin was serving as Kaltir of House Guernatal. Kaltir was what elves called an advisor. Many young elves were keen to acquire these positions as they made one's petition for membership in the Elven High Council much more attractive. This fact will become relevant to our tale soon enough. 
So what's your read on this guy? Is he like a psycho or what? Nah, he's one of those backwoods survivalists. They're not all bad, just a little off. I can hear you perfectly well. The fact that elves can hear exceptionally well is also relevant to our tale. Having never met an elf before, though, Billy still believed he was talking to a strange man with deformed ears, and Yellowine's eavesdropping caught him off guard. Okay, let me guess. You're in some kind of militia or something? My clan has a proud military tradition, if that's what you're asking. Nelson, honey, you want to take a few steps back from the heavily armed clansmen? And I bet you and all your kin can trace your lineage back to the Civil War. Yellowin was at Billy with a forearm on his throat. What do you know of Civil War? Whoa, 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 I think he meant the War of Northern Aggression, D- didn't you, Billy? So the attack will come from the north. Leaf of Felgear? I knew I never liked that bastard. What the hell are- How did you come by this knowledge? Speak while you're still able. Please don't kill my boyfriend, mister. We really don't know anything about this leaf guy. We just want to get back to school in one piece. Yellowine relaxed his grip just enough for Billy to speak. (coughs) Choose your words very carefully, human, for they may mean your life. What knowledge do you have of civil war? Abraham Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation, Gettysburg Address. Yellowine stared back in confusion. Cautiously, he further relaxed his grip on Billy. Where did you study history? Valley Central High. After sizing the three humans up for a few seconds, the elf let Billy go. They all stood around for a moment, as the proper etiquette for this particular situation was unknown to them all. So where are we right now? You're in lands claimed by his majesty, Gunther Gwernatal, high king of the human realms of Jordan. Is that a new expansion pack? Why don't we... Jen, let me handle this. You think you could point us to the nearest town without going schizo on me? I'm heading that way myself. I suppose I could escort you, since you're obviously in no place to defend yourselves. What the hell does that mean? It means you were very nearly a serpent supper, human. Speaking of which, as long as you're heading back to town with me, would you mind helping me with that? So it came to pass that the three humans found themselves walking down a path on the edge of the woods, with Billy and Nelson dragging the body of the serpent behind them by some leather straps. Yellowin strode in front, with the serpent's head under one arm, and looking very satisfied. Billy and Nelson looked considerably less satisfied. You sure you don't want my help? Don't don't be silly, babe. Nelson, are you pulling it all? Come on, man. Not all of us were made to feel welcome in the school weight room. The great spire of Castle Gwernatal appeared over the horizon. Oh, wow. I didn't know there were any castles in Pennsylvania. After a few more minutes of walking, the four came upon a large boulder. Had the three humans been outdoorsmen, they would have noticed the strangeness of this boulder, as the surrounding land had no large rocks. They did, however, notice the strangeness of the boulder being in a small crater and smeared with dried blood. How was that? 
Very easy way to kill a bear if you're dragoness looking to feed her young. This led to some very troubled looks between the humans. What's that they say in that movie with the monkeys? Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. That's the one. It took them about an hour or so to arrive at the outer hold of Gwenmetal Castle. It was a modest village with wooden walls, over which the tall stone walls of the inner hold always loomed. Only a few sideways glances were cast at the giant carcass Billy and Nelson were dragging. That's far enough, thank you. You can put her down. <clears throat> so what's your gamer tag? I can put in a good word for you with my guild if you want. I certainly do not care. Jen looked at Billy and motioned towards the elf in such a way as suggested Billy should talk to him. Billy shrugged in such a way as made clear he hadn't quite got the hang of understanding Jen's wishes. Listen, Mr... My name is Yeloween. Yeloween? Your name's Yeloween? Yeloween. Okay. Well, pleased to meet you. I'm Jennifer. Thank you for walking us back to town. Yes, yes. Merely doing my civic duty as an officer of the king's court. I can't believe this asshole's name is Yeloween. How many ass-kickings did you get in school? Mr. Yellowine, if you could point us in the direction of Lackawanna, Pennsylvania, we'd sure appreciate it. I've never heard of it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I find the three of you very odd, and I don't much care for your company. He handed Jen a small coin purse. So, buy yourselves a meal or proper clothes or something and leave me alone. Farewell. He hoisted the carcass over his shoulders with no effort and walked off towards the castle. Wait, Mr. Yellowween, we could really use some help getting back home. Sorry, urgent business to attend to. Thanks for nothing, jerk off. There comes a point in every great adventure. The songs and tapestries usually gloss over this part. When the heroes haven't a clue in the world what to do next. This was that moment. Wherever we are, we gotta eat, right? A little while later, they found themselves in a wooden tavern. The sort of place where anyone on the social ladder can get what was at least nominally a meal. The sights, and frankly smells, of the tavern did nothing to make the three young humans feel more at home. At least it's charmingly quaint. Billy took a seat at the bar, and his companions followed suit. They were approached by the barman. What would you care for? Two beers. And a milk for the kid. I'll have a mead. The fuck is mead, you weirdo? Nelson then found it necessary to remedy some minor imperfections in his place setting. Anything to eat? Steak. I'll have a... Uh, whatever the chef recommends, please. How's your mutton? Smelling a bit ripe today, I'd go with the pheasant. Under the bar, Billy grabbed the coin purse out of Jen's hand. And uh, keep a little something for yourself. And threw the purse on the bar. What's that? Money? Well, how much is in there? Uh, we're not really from around here. I don't know how the exchange of coin for goods and services is handled where you come from. 
But around here, things have a price that you pay. You don't just throw an arbitrary amount of money down and forget it. All right, all right. I didn't mean anything by it. Let's just see what you have here. 15, 30, 45, 60. He sized up the travellers once more. 65, 70, 75, that covers it. Did those all look like the same type of coin to you? Be back with the food. He rushed off. Score, they didn't even card us. At about the same time, Yellowin reached the gates of the inner hold, still carrying his trophy kill effortlessly. Evening, constables. Halt! State your name and purpose and await permission to enter. Pardon? Come no closer or you will be fired upon. I am Kaltir to His Majesty's court. What is the meaning of this? Apologies, my lord, His Majesty's orders. No one in or out without his word. Realising that this was rather irregular, the elf finally put down his snake. Did something happen? The guards looked at each other, shocked that the Kaltir had not heard of the recent developments. You haven't, by chance, seen any suspicious strangers around, have you? At which point Yellowin recalled that he had indeed seen three peculiar strangers very recently. It was a few minutes later, and Jen, Billy and Nelson were staring into three flagons of ale which were decidedly warmer and chunkier than they were used to. When the tavern doors burst open, Yellowin marched in followed by a dozen of the castle's garrison, pikes gleaming and at the ready. That's them, Captain. Arrest them. And so it came to pass that the three travellers found themselves detained for the second time in one day, and for the first time in their lives at the uncomfortable end of lethal weapons. Brennan dreamt of an infinite forest. Well, not really. We sprites can comprehend the infinite, but the minds of mortals are by nature limited and must be approximate. So, really, Brennan dreamt of a very, very, very big forest. Out of nowhere, a young girl materialised in front of him. She looked the very picture of innocence. Or at least she would have were it not for the gaping puncture wound in her chest. There are seven things you must know to save me. The first thing is, my killer has died as well, but has not yet joined me. The general looked on silently, because any mortal who claims to know how he'd respond to that is a liar. You should run, Brennan. He did decide to look behind him, and that's when he saw it. I'd describe what he saw, but what it looked like to him isn't important. Imagine you're in your bedchambers late at night, and you put out the last light. A sliver of moonlight creeps through the window and spills onto your bed. Make a list in your mind of the five things you'd least want the moonlight to reveal. Then imagine you saw all of those things at once. That was what this moment in the dream felt like to Brennan. Brennan, though, was ever the warrior... His first reaction, when faced with indescribable horror, was to try to murder it with an axe. He unslung the twybin that had been the woe of so many of the House Guernatal's enemies, and swung with all his might at the terrible thing. Unfortunately, this was a nightmare, 
and he could not get any speed on the thing despite his considerable strength. The thing easily dodged the blow, and then took the form of a huge bear, less effective than its previous form at making a man question that he'd ever known anything good, but quite handy at knocking a battle axe out of a man's hand with a swipe of its paw, and then biting out the throat of a young girl. Brennan ran for his axe, hoping against hope to save the girl, or at least make the beast pay. But he was distracted by a bird. No common bird, but a spectacularly beautiful bird, with feathers of red and gold. Soon it was joined by two other birds, one of all red and one of all gold. This caught the attention of the beast, and also of the blood-soaked but still alive young girl. As the three of them stood there, mesmerized, four grey birds joined the flock, one of which wore a crown. That was when Brennan heard the disembodied voice, General, and saw the intense light from some unknown source. General. Brennan jolted awake in his sparse quarters to see one of his officers standing over him with a torch. Sorry to wake you, sir. What's happened? The elf found some suspicious travellers in the eastern woods. His Majesty has called an emergency meeting of his court. Thank you, Lieutenant. The travellers, our travellers, were at that moment in a cell of a dungeon several stories below Castle Guernatal. Billy and Jen sat together on a stone bench that could never be mistaken for comfortable, while Nelson was curled up asleep on a different bench. How late do you figure it is by now? Late. If I'm lucky, my old man will be too plastered to notice I'm not home yet. Billy, I'm scared. Don't get all worked up, honey. Somebody's always doing this reenactment shit. People get carried away sometimes. They'll let us out soon, and if they don't, I'll start kicking some asses. But what about that snake? A piercing clamor badly startled Billy and Jen and jolted Nelson awake. The castle jailer was banging his short sword against the bars of their cell. Up, vermin, don't keep the king waiting. They were led up several flights of stairs and out into a small, walled-off courtyard, in between the dungeon and the castle proper. The courtyard was dominated by a large hedge maze, a man tall and then some. The pikes of patrolling soldiers were just barely visible over the tops of the hedges. Wait here until someone comes for you. The jailer headed back towards the dungeon and out of earshot. I can get us out of here. What? No, you can't. I've beaten every single Legend of Zelda game. But those are games. You can see their pikes over the top of the hedges. We can use them to map their patrol routes. Nelson watched the motion of the pikes intently for several seconds. Look, nerd. Shh. On my signal, run into the maze and turn right. Now let's just think of... Now! Nelson darted into the maze. Jen and Billy, realizing their dearth of better choices, ran after him. It must be admitted, it was wise of Nelson to notice the pikes and skillful of him to have discerned the patterns of the patrols so quickly. It must also be admitted that it was quite foolish of him to fail to notice the guard tower that overlooked the courtyard, since this was, after all, a castle. 
Two bowmen in the tower each knocked an arrow and aimed. The three young humans stopped in their tracks as every guard in the hedge maze converged on them. The jailer stormed back out from the dungeon, fuming. What in Selberin are you thinking? I didn't expect there to be guard towers. You didn't expect... There are visible gaps in our patrol routes. Yes, I noticed those. Some castle we'd be if we didn't account for those. Might as well build the walls from cow shit. You lot are lucky I've orders to keep you alive, or I'd wring your necks right here. Come on, then. As the three travellers were being led to the throne room, High King Gunther Gwernatal was addressing his court. His court, which looked precisely like it had just been dragged out of its respective beds, comprised humans of all skin colours from all walks of life. And yellow and from all walks of life, you can, of course, imply, provided they were wealthy. Humans in Jordan at the time placed tremendous value on how much gold one's father happened to possess at the time of one's birth. In fact, the only member of Gunther's court whose father was not tremendously wealthy was conspicuously absent at the moment. I hope by now you see the measures I've taken have been necessary. In chaotic times such as these, vigilance is the last weapon of order. Brennan strode in hurriedly, despite the weight of all his armour. Had any other base-born man interrupted a meeting of his majesty's court, the uproar would have been deafening. But the king's regard for this man, along with his many military triumphs and decorations, stayed their contempt. Not to mention the gigantic battle-axe and dozen or so throwing axes he wore. Brennan took his seat at the right hand of the king. Sincere apologies, your grace. Sorry we had to wake you, friend. Old soldiers are used to not sleep in the night. As I was saying, our young Kaltir has taken my message of vigilance to heart and brought us three possible spies that he encountered in the eastern woods. I have called this meeting so that we may try to discern their motives. Guards, send them in. The doors of the main hall opened, and our three young travellers were marched in a few inches in front of the jailer's sword. There were many murmurs regarding their garb, which seemed entirely bizarre to Gunther's court. Their attire also caught Brennan's attention, but for a different reason. As you may have noticed, they were clad in the same colours as the birds in Brennan's dream. Yellowin stood to give a report. Oh, great, it's weenie. Thank you for the floor, Your Grace. As you can see, their attire is completely unfamiliar, and you can take my word that their manners are equally alien. Furthermore, if you'll look at the puny one, you'll see he wears a token of Garadian around his neck. He was, of course, referring to the token that Nelson called a D20, which was considered relatively inoffensive back where Nelson came from, but mortified gasps broke out throughout the court nonetheless. I swear to God, nerd. Silent! Your Grace, I would have brought them to the court's attention sooner, but I had been out hunting and did not hear of Her Late Majesty's tragic demise until I returned. I understand, Kaltir. 
Where are the three of you from? M-E-P-A! I've never heard of such a place. And I am High King. Who claimed those lands? Um... The governor of Pennsylvania? His name is Tom Corbett, I think. Billy looked at Jen, just the slightest bit taken aback. Very much taken aback by the proceedings was Ardell of House Redmore, a somewhat petulant lord of 24 years and no small influence in Guernatal's court. Until this moment, he held his tongue, but his more mild-mannered twin, the maid Arlene, who sat with him, had noticed the signs of his anger growing ever more dire. At the mention of fantastical-sounding lands and governors, he could no longer remain mute. This all sounds made up. What manner of game do they think they're playing at? Well, the setting is very similar to the Elder Scrolls series, but the introduction seems a bit lengthy, even for a Bethesda game. I assure you, I do not have time for game. You don't have time for games. I'm glad you guys are having so much fun with your little renaissance fair, but we need to get home. You will go nowhere if you don't tell me what you are doing on my land. I believe in justice, but do not try my patience. You can't just keep us here. Guards! Three soldiers emerged from the crowd, swiftly pushed our travellers to their knees, and put swords to their necks. Billy and Nelson finally joined Jen in the realisation that this was a very appropriate time to be frightened. Now, what were you doing on my land? Listen, your maj... your grace. We honestly don't know how we got here. We were in trouble at school, and then there was a storm, and then something with my ass, and then there were trees... Were they wearing those clothes when you found them, Chaldea? Indeed they were, General. Where did you get your clothes, children? Central High Varsity Athletics. My grandma! Speak your mind. It's probably nothing, Your Grace, but I may have had a dream about these three. This caught the attention of the clergy who were present at the court. The Bishop of Guernatal's dominion spoke up. What sort of dream? Was in danger, was rescued by birds, of the same colours that these three were. The clergy talked quietly but excitedly amongst themselves. I would know what you are saying. The bishop stood, which required great effort. This was because he had lived for just about as long as any man had a right to live, and then kept on living for another few decades. He wore elegant purple robes, and on a silver chain around his neck was a golden disc. On it were some inscriptions, but more on those later. General, had you seen these strangers at any point before these things were dreamt? I had not, your eminence. And have you ever heard of the scrolls of Baradir? That sounds like my type of shit right there. Time is of the essence, Bishop. They are writings, your majesty. Their veracity has been refuted by the elders, but they have not been declared outwardly heretical. As such, they have become the domain of scholars such as myself, who study them as anthropology rather than theology. 
Had the bishop's eyes not been far too old to function properly, he may have noticed the epidemic of yawning that had broken out in the throne room. The writer speaks of a time of Garedian's reign, a time of war and fear and darkness and pestilence and... At this point, Billy had managed to doze off while still on his knees with a sword at his throat. This embarrassed Jen to no end. Ah, forgive me, my lords. I forgot what I will say. A younger priest could take no more. An anointed one will save us from the dark times. The prophet of the anointed one's coming will be a great warrior, and the sigil of the anointed one will be a bird. There was excited chatter throughout the hall. Fortunately, it covered up Billy's snoring long enough for Jen to nudge him awake with her elbow. Lord Redmore, however, was having none of it. You can't expect us to give weight to this prophecy, Bishop. You said yourself that the elders refuted it. Indeed! Very few still put any faith in the scrolls of Baradir, and I am not among them, yet you must admit the details are uncanny. What would you have us do, Bishop? It may be prudent, after our host is assembled, of course, for me to take these three and a small guard to see the elders. Come now, Your Grace. War is at our doorstep. We should put them to death in the town square. What? We shall make an example of them to discourage any who so dissent. Arlene Redmore could no longer ignore the look of innocent terror on young Jen's face. With respect, Your Grace, what harm can they possibly do from within the dungeon? Ardell turned to look at his sister with fury in his eyes. The harm are seeming too weak to act. Lord Redmore speaks wisely. They cannot afford to seem weak. If I may, Your Grace, May Redmore may have a point. Your Grace, do the commons know I've captured these things? Why don't you capture my... Not yet, Caltier. Then, if they are villains, House Guernatal will be praised for killing them in a few days, just the same as if they were killed tomorrow. If they are no one, you can do with them as you will, with no consequence. But, if the elders do deem them important... Bishop, what would it mean for the kingdom if one of them were the so-called Anointed One? His Majesty's victory in any future conflicts would be all but assured. Best not to discard such a potentially powerful weapon in our haste to seem powerful, Your Grace. The king took a few long moments to ponder, as the travellers took the same moments to realise that perhaps their deaths were not imminent. Sound reasoning, I must admit. Wouldn't you agree, Lord Redmond? Relief passed over the faces of Billy, Jen, and Nelson, but Ardell had not taken his eyes off his sister for an instant. Yes, Your Grace. Then it is settled. Guards, let them up. The soldiers sheathed their swords and pulled the three young humans to their feet. These prisoners will remain here until it is deemed safe to unseal the inner hold. 
At which point, they will be taken to the elders to determine their import. Suddenly, one of the king's soldiers burst into the hall at a full sprint. <laughs> Pardon, lords. Catch your breath, boy. Draft's army crosses the Black Mountains, 50,000 strong. And the Knights of the Wood watched them cross. Where before there were excited murmurs, there was now all-out panic. Billy, Jen and Nelson did not know what they should be panicking about, but it was clear that some very bad news had just been given. In fact, Brennan and his king were the only ones in the room who kept their composure. Your haste in returning has saved countless lives, and the kingdom thanks you. The rest of you, I will unseal the hole so that you may make whatever arrangements you wish. We have at least two dawns before Traft arrives. For those of you who seek the protection of this keep, it will be open to you. But we will seal the gates again at dusk tomorrow. We shall do our utmost to keep you safe. The court leapt from their seats and scurried off in myriad directions. General, I would have words. Kaltier, wait outside with the prisoners. Your Grace. Yilluin motioned for our travellers to follow him, and, not having the slightest idea what else to do, they obliged. There is a traitor among us. There is no other way news of the Queen's death could have gotten out. I'm afraid you're right, old friend. I need you to track down the traitor. I will send our best men. You will send yourself. If we've been betrayed, you're the only one I can trust. I would not leave your side in these dark times. It gives me no joy, but that's an order, General. Yes, Your Grace. Take Halloween with you as well. An order as well, Your Grace? A pompous little shit I know, even Pornell. But his skills as a tracker will be very useful to you. You might as well come back in now, Kaltier. Yilloween re-entered with his charges in tow. Your Grace, I'm really sorry all this stuff is coming down on you, but I swear on my mother, we have nothing to do with it and we just want to go home and see our families. I'm afraid we can't let you leave, at least for a while. All due respect here, your kingship, sir, and thanks for not having us killed. But we do not want to get wrapped up in this. You are wrapped up in it. War is coming, boy. Funny thing about war doesn't give half a starving man's shit what a young men want from their lives. For your own protection, you will accompany General Brennan on his journey. Now, have the three of you any supplies that might be of use? The tall one was carrying armor of some sort when I found it. Good. Take them and retrieve their effects from the dungeon. The five of you will leave as soon as you are able. Yes, Your Grace. They turned to exit. I think we got our first quest. Shut it, Nelson. Nelson, I don't think they're fooling around. Indeed. We'll likely be in danger every step of the way, and the more you talk, the more dangerous it becomes. Welcome to my life in Pennsylvania. Brennan was about to leave as well when Gunther grabbed his arm. They waited until everyone else was out of earshot, human and elvish earshot. Your Grace, I cannot help but think they would be safer in your keep than on the road with me. Galadin, help us, Brennan. 
If Traft is coming and the knights of the woods sit idly by, Felgir will follow soon enough. And when he does, these walls will not hold forever. You know that as well as I. If one of them can save us, I would not lose them to my own frailty. Keep them safe. And when you have completed your two other missions, see them to the elders. Two missions, Your Grace? Do you remember what I told you after Prince Uther was killed? Has it come to that, Your Grace? Would I mention it aloud if we had another choice? The king removed a sealed scroll from his pocket and handed it to Brennan. This scroll has a name on it, but cannot be read except by a mage practice in the arts of deception. Take it to the college at Armstrongard and seek out the great wizard Barlokir. This should go without saying, but divulge the importance of the name to no one. Which first, the traitor, or... Do you remember thirty years ago? The last words of my coronation speech. You said we would strive for a day when honor and justice would come before politics. Today is not that day. Brennan nodded. He put the scroll in his pocket. An odd thing I've observed about mortals with the capacity for speech... If there's one thing you can count on them to lie about, it is things that frighten them. Though these two men did not say anything plainly untrue, they spoke as though they planned to see each other again. Go with Galadon, Brennan. Till we meet again, Gunther. They embraced, briefly but warmly, and then Brennan was gone. At the bottom of the craggy hill on which Gwernatal's keep was built was a hole through which sewage could be evacuated from the castle and town. Clever bit of engineering. Even more clever was a nearby secret door that looked exactly like the rock face when closed. The door had not been used since well before Gunther's reign, but given the stakes, Brennan decided to do everything possible to conceal his party's movement. The door opened, and out came Brennan, Yillowin, Billy, Jen, and Nelson. Brennan and Yillowin were armed to the teeth. Billy had his so-called football pads, Jen her handbag, and Nelson still wore his D20 on his neck. As they emerged from the hidden door... They were greeted by the overpowering smell of human sewage, which was very unpleasant to the four humans, but did not so much bother Yilwin. We're headed 30 miles north. We're walking? Even if we had horses, do any of you know how to ride? Is that a prompt for a tutorial? It's easier to stay undetected this way. At least we'll take in the scenery, right? This is horseshit. I've heard you speak endlessly of yourself as an athlete. Funny that a walk intimidates you. I was thinking of the lady. We do have to train for cheerleading, Billy. No offense, babe. Lifting pom-poms isn't training. Brennan looked over his shoulder at Castle Guernatal once more, pausing for just a moment, and then put on his helm and turned away. When the sun came up, it was snowing lightly, 
Soft, gentle snowflakes caught the light of the new day as they coasted to the ground. The party had made respectable progress during the night, but as the dawn approached, Brennan and Yellowin insisted on heading off the beaten path. Their three young charges were ill-prepared for the rocky terrain that this plan required. We need to pick up the pace. The road won't get any easier after dark and traffic isn't getting any farther away. I'm sorry, I'm trying. Did you have to pick the most busted-ass road you can find? You don't have an interstate or some shit? There are smoother roads for horses and wagons, but apparently I need to remind you that we are hoping to avoid detection. Do you have to remind yourself to think about girls when you jerk off? So we're going to some great magic academy? The College of Armstrong God is the finest scholastic institution in the human realms of Jordan. I never thought I'd get to see a big school. Well, I only ever visited community college. I bet they'll be like those preppy douchebags from UPenn. And we're meeting a legendary wizard? If we're lucky. It's a great honor to get a private audience with Balakir. Ball liquor? Yellowween is taking us to see Ball liquor? What is it with you guys' names, Weenie? Why does he keep calling me Weenie? I think he's trying to insult you. Where we come from, weenie is a diminutive term for the male organ. Strange. Any chance this wizard might know how to get us home? Where did you say home is again? Lackawanna County, Nepa. Balukir <coughs> has traveled the world, even to the unmapped islands on the edges of Jordan. Perhaps he does know where this Lackawanna is. But remind me, General, why are we going to see him? Brennan took barely a moment to search for a believable lie. He may have information about whomever betrayed House Guernador. So, where can I drop a duke around here? Billy. What is his meaning? I think he's asking about the use of a privy. We have no time to stop now. We'll dig a ditch when we make camp. But be sure to bury your leavings. How about I bury my dick? In your mom? For someone so preoccupied with sexual congress, you seem quite confused about how it works. Enough. Yeah, enough, weenie. At the same time, Arlene Redmore was frantically making preparations to leave Castle Guernathal ahead of the impending war. She rounded a corner quickly and nearly collided with her brother. Where are you headed in such a hurry, dear sister? To our father's house. Where do you think we'll be safer there? Ardell struck his sister across the mouth, cutting her lip. Sadly, this was not wholly surprising. We are staying right here. And if you ever speak against me at court again, I will make sure everyone in Jordan knows you for the whore you are. Arlene refused to let water come to her eyes until after Ardell had turned the corner. By late morning, Brennan and his charges had reached a thinly iced lake. On a bank of the lake was an outcropping, which provided enough cover for a brief rest. The temperature was dropping, so Brennan was forced to build a small fire while Billy made use of the ditch that Yellowin had dug on the opposite side of the outcropping. Should we have sent someone to guard the privy ditch? You're not going to watch Billy go to the bathroom. Not me. 
Halloween or something. He'd love that. Besides, I think he's okay. Bad guys don't just appear out of thin air, right? Actually, in most Japanese RPGs... Holy shit, you guys. I just took the most amazing dump. Jen buried her face in her hands. You ever take such a big dump you need a nap after? Honey, we haven't slept in almost 24 hours. That's probably... No, 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 no. Trust me. If you'd have seen this dump I took, there was a rabbit watching me. He ran away when it hit the ground. That was when the wind changed direction, and Yillowin's elvish nose detected unmasked human feces. Please tell me you buried it like you were told. What? No, screw that. That's weird. A dozen cockroaches had scurried over the rocks. I should be clear that these were your dick cockroaches. I'm told that where Billy, Jen, and Nelson were from, they have creatures which they call cockroaches, but which are only an inch or so long. Your dick cockroaches are the size of small dogs. Hence Jen shrieking and hiding behind Billy. Billy, you fool. Someone give me a weapon. Just charge them. What? Brennan ran at the roaches, waving his arms. They darted away extremely quickly, but after a few seconds of running, they rolled over dead, as is their want. I think we got them. You all right, babe? Yeah, I'm fine. Let's stay vigilant. If there's anything more fearsome nearby, it knows where we are now. Aye. You and I should trade watches while they rest, and we should get them to an armory when we reach Armstrongard. Can we just go home, please? We won't need armor there. We're going to get our own armor? And maybe weapons. If we can find some you can handle. That's what's up. Hell yeah. No sense messing up my hands if I don't need to. Well, you've certainly proved yourself in battle so far. I was protecting the lady. Ah, yes. A favorite excuse to cowardly men. What the hell did you just say to me? Stop it. Both of you. Billy, keep your mouth closed. If go find us some supper. Yillowin looked over to the dead roaches, with at most four legs. Yillowin shrugged, strung his bow, and walked off. Do roaches around here always die just from running? Of course. Pussies. I thought I could at least learn to use a weapon against them. They're probably just too big. You have to expect vermin of unusual size early in the quest. But insects have open circulatory systems and no lungs. When they're that size, there's no way they could absorb enough oxygen to run. This prompted a sideways look from Billy. I think. It was around noon when Arlene Redmore climbed into the bath. There was a chill in the air that day, and steam curled out of the water to wrap around her body. Her handmaiden, Gwen, ladled fresh water from a cauldron onto her. Gwen was of an age with Arlene, and had become her handmaiden some ten years ago. Ever since, they had been as dear to each other as was considered proper for nobles and the commoners who served them. I hope you're not in too much pain, milady. Arlene self-consciously sucked in her lower lip, which had begun to scab. It's nothing. They should fix the floors in this old dungeon, lest someone else fall. It's not right. He should do that to his sister. Gwen! Sorry, milady. It just breaks my heart to see. He'd break much more if he heard you. Arlene's lips split again and bled. She pulled Gwen in very close, 
so that her lips were almost touching the serving girl's ear. There will be a time for defiance, but this is not it. Gwen stood and retrieved a washcloth. She knelt back down beside the bath. You should talk to his majesty about those floors. Gwen tenderly dabbed at Arlene's cut, running the cloth softly over her mistress's lip. They looked into each other's eyes for perhaps a moment or two longer than would have been considered proper. The door burst open and Ardell strode in, naked as the day he was born. Brother! Arlene scrambled to cover herself. You've had your turn. It's time for my bath. Arlene looked back at her brother, surprised. I had mentioned before that his callousness rarely surprised her anymore. But once in a while, he still caught her off guard. Was I not clear? His eyes were pure menace. Frightened out of her incredulity, Arlene climbed out of the tub and looked around for something to wear. I'll get your night clothes, milady. I don't recall dismissing you. Ardell climbed into the bath and looked back up at his naked sister, taking far too much pleasure in her discomfort. It's not too far to your bedchambers. You probably won't encounter anyone if you go quickly. Arlene only turned from her brother when she realized she could no longer hold back the tears of rage. Gwen was impotently furious as she watched her mistress and dearest friend dart out into the hallway. Water, wench, now. By late afternoon, Brennan and his charges had picked clean a small goose that Yellowin had shot. They sat around a small fire, wiping the grease from their hands and faces. The three young humans were completely exhausted, but nonetheless, Nelson had found time to arrange the bones from his meal in size order. I hope you aren't offended, but this really isn't our kind of place. You can see that, can't you? Aye, and I'm sorry that you must go through this. But you are here, and I have orders to keep you with me. Suppose we say screw your orders and run off while you're asleep. You're welcome to try. You're safest with us. I fear Jordan's about to get very violent. Because you had a dream about some birds? You mean prophecy. One of us could be the anointed one, right? The coming war has nothing to do with my dream. What does it have to do with? Several things, starting with House Felgear. We think Felgear may be planning an attack against Guernatal. So Felgear is the big evil general that everyone was scared of last night? No, that's Traff. He leads an army of orcs and rebels down from the mountains in the east. Orcs is troublingly vague. Are we talking Lord of the Rings, WoW, Elder Scrolls? We're talking about beasts in men's bodies who will rip your throat out with their teeth and burn your mother at the stake for fun. This place is really going to shit, huh? Why now? King Gunther once had a son, Prince Uther. His mother, Queen Helga, Died from fever when he was a child, but he grew into a fine young man. And would have made a good king. Mm. Seventeen years ago, Uther was assassinated by enemies of the monarchy. His majesty was devastated, but in order to produce another heir, he remarried to a lady in waiting named Dagmar. They tried to conceive for many years, but only succeeded a few moons ago. This story doesn't end happily, does it? I didn't know until later. 
But apparently Queen Dagmar passed shortly before I found you three. Something went wrong with the birth. Mother and child both were killed. I'm so sorry. And that's it? Three people eat it in your entire country's a free-for-all? Isn't there a line of... of... Help me out, Four Eyes. Royal succession? Isn't there a line of royal succession? The king is aging. Most people saw Dagmar's child as his last chance at an heir. That's a pretty shitty way to run things. Usually these traditions of royal succession go back millennia. You should show a little respect. Where we come from, the people rule themselves. Commoners raised to kings. I'm sure you do a great job running the kingdom. We suck ass at it. But even we're smart enough that if the guy on top drops dead, there's like 30 people in line to take his place. Oh, are any of them qualified to rule? I still don't get why this all started a war. Ever since the second White Forest Concordant, the Tarlowheel have sworn to defend the legitimate bloodline of the High King. Tarlowheel? Knights of the Wood, in your tongue. No. Knights of the Wood? But the knights protect the monarchy in general. Not any one king. With Dagmar and her child dead, House Querenthal will have no claim to the throne once his majesty passes. Thus, the house is no longer protected by the Tarlow Hill, and all her enemies crawled out from under their rocks. We tried to hide the deaths, which is why some feared you were spies, but word got out where you're in our custody. So then, what's with the dream with the birds? Prophecy with the birds... That's why His Majesty's court decided not to summarily execute you. Not that I'm complaining, but because of a dream about some birds? We've had leaders go to war for less. To be expected when the rabble rules itself. Yeah, the kids of cousins are a better bet. It was then that Brennan noticed, far off beyond the horizon, a thin pillar of smoke rising into the sky. Get a few hours of sleep, then we need to keep moving. And they did get some sleep. And they did keep moving. Far too soon for the liking of the young travellers, but not quite soon enough for Brennan's liking. For all her exhaustion, Jen was mesmerised by the Yordic sky at night. Stars beyond counting, in constellations she had never seen. The moon seemed to her so large and the aurora so vivid, she had a hard time believing they were real. How much farther? You just slept for four hours. I'm doing fine. Billy then proceeded to trip over his own feet and nearly fall. But by then the party had reached the top of the hill they had been climbing for some time. Behold. The hill overlooked an enormous city, creeping around a river, with torchlights visible even at this hour. Amstrungard. A legion of stone buildings sprawled out across what seemed like the entire valley, and at the centre of it all was a shimmering white tower. A waste of a perfectly nice river valley, if you ask me. But we sprites are just timeless manifestations of the life force who bear witness to all that is, was, and ever will be. What do we know? No matter. For it was in this city, this expansive, shining, and in my opinion, kind of tacky city, 
that Billy, Jen and Nelson had a date, as they say, with legend. From their position atop the hill, the party could see the shimmering tower stretching up to the sky and the city of Armstrongard spread out around it. Let me guess. Weenie's people designed that tower. It's called Cockenshireville Townenberg or something, right? You're mixing old English place names with Germanic place names. It's probably either Cockingshire or Cockingburg. That is the College of Armstrongard. And yes, my people did build it, as a show of good faith to all men yet. How'd they get it so shiny? I got a few guesses. It was made from the tusks of great beasts that once roamed the northern deserts. Elephants? There's elephants here? There were, before the tower. Brennan noticed Jen's face drop in disappointment. We've heard there might still be some on the other side of the mountains. Don't sweat it, babe. When we get back home, I'll win you another stuffed elephant at the fair. My family owns a few stuffed elephants. Not helping, weenie. They entered the city shortly after dawn and headed straight for its market district. Even this early, it was already bustling with merchants and buyers of all backgrounds and walks of life. Brennan guided them through the throng until they arrived at Bailey and Company purveyors of fine arms and armour, wherein the Lady Bailey peddled her wares to Brennan over the din of a hammer and anvil. If your charges don't find anything that suits them, we'd be glad to craft them some custom pieces for a small fee, but our prefabricated armour comes in styles to suit any body type and combat style. Indeed, Nelson had found a chainmail shirt that happened to resemble the buttoned, collared thing he had been wearing in size and fit. This is so cool. Billy, similarly, had found a suit and helm of plate steel. The rounded design of the helm, and pronounced shoulders of the suit, did make them look somewhat similar to the attire Billy wore to play football. I could kind of get used to this. A lot heavier than the stuff they gave us at school, though. Heavy, indeed. Yellowing tore a tremendous gash into Billy's old attire, which lay on the floor with his elven knife. Then, before Billy could react, he stabbed at the plate. His blade glanced off, leaving nary a nick in the armour. But it might save your life. It will certainly save your life. And has the lady found anything suitable? Myself, I think it's great when a girl wants to lend moral support out on a battlefield. I'm not sure about this. It must be admitted that the ladies' armour available at this establishment did surprisingly little in the way of armouring and surprisingly much in the way of drawing attention to a young woman's <clears throat> moral supports. What do you guys think? Yes, I love awesome. It. Don't you have anything with a little more coverage? Lots of female characters dressed like that in games and comic books. It's for mobility. Yeah, what he said. I think I could still be mobile if a little less of my chest was exposed. Think of it like your cheerleader uniform. You look great in your uniform. Okay, I guess. I'll take it. Splendid. Now, would you like to purchase any arms to go with your armor? Yes. This is for me. Billy noticed a large war hammer hanging on the wall, which he took down, only to discover he could not nearly lift it. He fell backwards under its weight, 
taking several posed suits of armor with him. Let's stick with the armor for now. You'll recall that the party's primary destination in the city of Armstrongard was the college at its center. I am told that, in some places, Ivory Tower has become an expression for a place which shuts out the unpleasant realities of the world. No doubt this had its roots in reference to the College of Armstrongard, which was populated almost exclusively by elves and men whose fathers had a tremendous amount of gold at the time of their birth. And of course, at its centre, was a literal Tower of Ivory. Jen was thoroughly awed by these sights when the party entered the college, enough so that she forgot her initial embarrassment over her exposed skin. Nelson, in his gleaming new mail, looked surer of himself than he ever had in the halls of Valley Central High School. Billy was less impressed. This place is lame. They don't even have a football field. Brennan was told that he and his charges could wait for the elf he sought in a library, with books as far as the eye could see. The design of the room drew one's attention to a single ornate desk, on which was perched an impressive candelabra. The candles were not lit, but rather the light in the room came from a large window behind the desk. As the party waited, Jen examined the extensive collection of books, their spines bearing characters that were strange to her. Nelson was similarly transfixed by the elven artwork decorating the stacks themselves. Billy had found a store of feather quills and was throwing them at the ceiling trying to make them stick. Hey honey, come here. I think I've got the hang of this. I've never seen so many books in one place. These all belong to one guy? They're just books. Big deal. This stuff is amazing. I wonder where I can learn about these engravings. Oh, oh, I know. In the exact opposite direction of a vagina. Nelson, not for anything. You mean well, but Billy isn't into the stuff you are. Maybe he'd go easier on you if you didn't, you know, broadcast it all the time. Guys like him will always find something to make fun of me for. From among the stacks came a woman in plain robes, with skin similar in tone to Nelson's. She had just shy of thirty years, and was called Nia. On her head was a purple headband, and around her neck was a disc similar in shape to those worn by the priests at Castle Guernetal, but made of old bronze instead of polished gold. Good afternoon. I'm Nia, teaching assistant to Balakir. How can I help you, my lords? Well met, Nia, but none of us holds lands. Sirs, then? Brennan will do. General Brennan? The same. It is an honor to meet such a lauded servant of the realm. And this is Yelewin, Kaltir Tahasquernato. Talum, Hiliet. You know Hiliet. Required of every divinity student at Armstrong Guard. Now how can I be of service to you? We humbly request an audience with Balakir on behalf of His Majesty, High King Gunther Guernato. As if on cue, the window turned opaque, 
plunging the room into darkness. Anticipating some mortal threat, Brennan unslung his axe and Yellowin unsheathed his hunting knife. That was when every candle in the room exploded with light to reveal the elf mage who was called Balokir, centuries old but as imposing as ever, with long white hair and beard braided into tails that wound down to his wrists, he raised his arms. The window turned transparent again, but now seemed to be tinted all the colours of a rainbow separately but at once. Brennan and Yellowin dropped to their knees, pulling the young humans with them. Talun, Memiet, what brings you to seek my counsel? Before they could answer, Ba noticed Yellowin. To your feet. Yellowin obeyed without hesitation. Our kind do not bend the knee. You dishonor your heritage. Forgive him, Doctor. He only seeks to honor his commitment as Kaltir by observing the traditions of men in my presence. You may rise. To what do I owe the honor of a visit from his majesty's court? Royal business that requires the art of illusion. His majesty says you are its greatest living practitioner. Your help in this matter would be greatly appreciated. To be sure, as I greatly appreciate offers of coin in exchange for my time. Respectfully, Doctor, the heads of House Quernatol have been liege lords of this city since the peace. They provide for its defense and ask for no taxes in return. It is through their benevolence that this academy and its faculty have flourished, and now... House Quirinatol humbly requests a small favor in return. Right. Nia, I'm sure you can handle this. His Majesty requested you by name, Doctor. The girl is trustworthy. Now, you'll have to forgive me, my good man, but I've research to attend to, and I'm afraid it doesn't fund itself. Good day. Ah strode off into a smaller, more private office and shut the door behind him. Hey! Do you know how to get to Pennsylvania? We have gold if that's what the doctor so desperately requires. Good luck. Once he decides something is beneath him, you'd just as easily pass an orc for a princess. I haven't met your other companions. I'm Jen. I have no idea how I got here. Pleased to meet you, Jen. I felt the same way before I accepted Galadon into my heart. Billy Williams, Jr., captain of the Valley Central High Hawks. Billy? Can you do that thing with the windows, too? That shit was amazing! This is Nelson. He's pretty weird. He has an active imagination. The first mark of a talented mage. What about whether you have pubes yet? Does that matter? May I speak with you in private? The room set aside for Nia's office space was comparable in dimensions to a particularly lavish coffin. The difficulty of Nia and Brennan conferring in it was compounded by the countless scrolls and tomes stacked on Nia's desk. With some difficulty, Nia found enough arm room to unravel the scroll that Brennan had been carrying with him. When, after some time, she was able to break through the enchantment concealing the name on the scroll, her eyes widened. This is for a criminal investigation, isn't it? What makes you say that? Well, the name on the scroll, Irona Regan. Does that name mean nothing to you? Should it? They call her the Thief Queen of Armstrongard. 
but thief barely captures her crimes. Criminal or not, it is vital that I find her. If thief queen she is, she'll have taken steps to cover her tracks, eh? It stands to reason. A mage might prove very useful to me in this age. If the whispers about Arona Regan are true, she'll kill you before she bothers to say hello. I must graciously decline. You are a student of theology, are you not? Among other things, yes. I hope to take my vows once I have my doctorate. The night before I met those three young ones, I had a dream. A great bird with feathers the colors of their clothes. Will they be brought to the elders? That is my intent. But I must find this Arona Regan first. Why is that? She may be vital to a royal investigation. Do you take the scrolls of Baradir seriously, General? I know too little of them to have an opinion. Then why jeopardize your mission taking the children along? Because it is what my king commands. As it happens, General, I take the scrolls very seriously. With what you've said about your dream, I'd be dishonoring my oaths by not going with you. There will probably be great danger. Have you martial training? I know quite a few spells that can keep people safe. Will your master miss you? Master? I left my friends and family to study under the greatest wizard alive, only to learn that he wanted a free research assistant rather than a student. He can stick it in his pointy ear. As you wish. Passage to the underground is known to be found along the canal. I'll meet you at the north gate after dark. Until then, go with Galadon, General. After the young humans were allowed to sleep for much longer than they had in three days, and on mattresses no less, Brennan led his party to the part of the city unofficially reserved for people whose fathers had very little gold indeed. Several such personages watched the party furtively from the shadows and alleys. General. Nia peeked out from behind a corner with a hooded cloak and a walking staff and joined the group. Soon they came to a small guardhouse in which a single guard snored loudly. The party easily hopped over the turnpike in his charge and descended a flight of stone steps. The stairs led down to the canals of Armstrong Guard, which were lined by brick walls and stone walkways. What are we looking for? I'm not sure yet. Nia looked at the end of her staff, and a faint blue glow radiated from it. When she touched the staff to the walls, the bricks around it glowed as well. Nia dragged her staff across the wall for a hundred or so paces, until they came across a brick that did not glow. A hollow brick. Makes sense. A thief's hands would recognize it. She pushed on the brick with her staff and quickly backed away. By some unseen mechanism, a previously invisible doorway opened in the wall. The door led to a tangle of tunnels and subterranean shanties, interweaving as though it were a city unto itself. Echoing along from further down the tunnels, a raucous crowd was audible. I'm guessing that's a good place to start investigating. As they headed towards the source of the noise, the looks the party got from the lurkers about down here made the looks they got above ground seem downright amiable. After walking a few hundred yards, they found the source of the noise to be a ramshackle but bustling tavern. Oh good. I love drinking in sewers. 
Nia, it's probably safest if you wait outside with the young ones. Gladly. Brennan and Yellowin headed off towards the tavern. Yell out if you need some backup. The general and the elf deigned to dignify this suggestion with a sideways glance before continuing on their way. As it happened, the woman they sought, Erona Regan, the so-called thief queen of Armstrongard, was taking her supper at that very tavern, as she did on many nights at about that time. But, by her own design, very few people could connect her face with her infamous name. Least of all people of any social standing, like Brennan and Yillowy. She sat alone at a candle-lit table in an outfit so nondescript that the details have not made it down to posterity. Her hair was exactly as short as it could be without seeming strange on a woman. She was just about to start in on her supper, when a particularly repugnant specimen of mankind, one of the few people who did know who she was, approached her table. Well, fuck me sideways, Arona Regan, just who I was looking for. He sat down across from her. I'd compare his mannerisms to that of a slime mold, but I've met a few very charming slime molds. And I'm just thrilled you found me, Kelly. Ah, you don't sound thrilled. No, really, by the gods, Kelly. My nipples are hard. Fucked up about flowers and needle, huh? Dangerous city. Dangerous line of work. Kelly grabbed the sleeve of a passing serving girl. Hail, sweetheart. I'll be paying my bill. If you leave now, I won't get to tell you about a very lucrative business opportunity. Brandy, strong as you've got. Kelly smiled at Regan. Make that a double. All the while, Nia and the young human stood waiting at a safe distance from the tavern. It was at this point that Nia could no longer keep quiet about the dye that Nelson wore around his neck. You shouldn't wear the tokens of Geradian. But these are my lucky dice. Nelson, I think they might mean something different here than they do at home. What do they mean where you come from? That he's a virgin. Here, they mean you worship chaos. And everyone I know has lost something dear to chaos. It was then they noticed the five men with piecemeal arms and armor walking into the tavern. One of them shot Billy a dirty look as they disappeared through the doorway. Douchebags. They're lucky I'm just covering the door. You're also unarmed. Just because I'm not some fairy with a bow and arrow, everyone thinks I can't fight. No, no, of course you can fight, baby. We just need you out here to protect us. Jen pulled Billy into an embrace, but over his shoulder, looked at Nia as if to say, what else can be done? Back in the tavern, Brennan and Yellowin were still unsure what exactly they should be looking for, and even more unsure whom it might be worth asking. So nothing caught their attention about a ragged man and nondescript woman being served drinks over in a corner somewhere. And what very reputable source brought you this business opportunity? You don't trust me. I don't trust anybody. And we both know you've got about as much business sense as my cunt has armor. I heard it was steel plated. <laughs> What's the fucking job, Kelly? Couple of sellswords been around, been asking about you. Subtly, almost mindlessly, Regan picked a long splinter off of the table and examined it. Some asshole's always looking for me. These assholes are offering a lot of money. She dipped the splinter into the candle, 
and watched it slowly burn, as one does who is trying to stave off boredom. So what are you proposing? I'm proposing I lead them to you, and then buy me the sweetest little whore in Armstrongard. Three of the threatening-looking men from outside emerged from the crowd and surrounded the table. I never said it was lucrative for you. This finally caught the attention of Brennan and Yellowin, who watched the situation unfold with their hands never too far from their weapons. It's a smart move, Kelly. I didn't think you had it in you. Her eyes did not leave her burning splinter. Silly bitch. Your mommy and daddy never teach you not to play with fire. I didn't really have what you'd call a traditional childhood. She dropped the splinter into her brandy, igniting it in a bluish rush of air, and in the same motion, threw the flaming liquid into Kelly's face. He screamed, but his screams soon turned to gurgles as Regan's table knife punctured his neck. The cell swords darted at her, but before they could react, Regan overturned her table and took refuge behind it. That was when the first cell sword was introduced to a nasty little weapon called a razor star. Regan had thrown two of them into his chest before disappearing behind the table. The second thought for a moment to avenge the first, but his hopes were dashed by one of Brennan's throwing axes. Yellowin had a shot lined up at the third cell sword, until a fourth tried to ambush him from the side. The elf unstrung his arrow and jammed it through the fourth man's eye. He knocked another and killed his original target effortlessly. The crowd at the tavern, while perfectly comfortable with a few drunken brawls each night, was not accustomed to mortal combat. They had begun to pour out into the underground street where the rest of the party was waiting. After a moment of calculation, in which he made an accurate assessment that help might be needed, and an inaccurate assessment of how much he'd be able to provide, Billy took off into the tower. Wait! Nia ran after him, likewise for Nelson, leaving Jen outside the tavern, frightened, confused, and unsure of where she would be safest. When Billy entered the tavern, he saw a sellsword running at Yellowin's back with weapon drawn. He took a deep breath and lined up precisely the kind of tackle his football coach had taught him. It did nothing to knock down the much stronger man, but the form was impeccable. The sellsword delivered a knee to Billy's nose, breaking it and spraying blood everywhere. He raised his sword with intent of cutting short young Billy's life, but suddenly stopped and grimaced, as if in pain. True to her promise, Nia's magic had saved Billy. Her staff had not done much harm to the sellsword, but had stopped him long enough for Billy to dive out of striking distance. Their foe turned to strike Nia, but a devastating blow from Brennan's battle axe cleaved him nearly in twain from neck to flank. What was left of him crumpled to the ground, spilling blood and bone and bowels onto the sawdust-covered floor. Nia turned away, barely able to stomach the sight and stench. Nelson and Billy immediately vomited. Naught remained in the bloody rat, save for Brennan, Yellowin, Nia, Billy, Nelson, and the broken bodies of the sellswords. Brennan soon noticed this, 
Where in Silberen is that woman? Drop your weapons. They wheeled around to see Regan holding hostage a terrified-looking Jen with a Mooncrest-style dagger at her throat. I don't care if you're a girl. I will stomp your ass if you don't let her go. Regan looked Billy up and down, more amused than anything. Try it. I got nothing against you, but if your friends don't drop their weapons right now, I will fucking gut you like dinner. Scratch her and we'll come at you with all our might. And I'll kill you all too. Might be that you're able, but then we'll all be dead. And you don't know what that. Says who? You were outside before we even noticed you were missing. What'd you come back for? All right, Grandpa, well played. Why did two groups come after me at the same time? Why is one of them wearing the king's crest? And why are people I grew up with turning up dead? I can only answer as to why we're here, but it will be much easier to talk if we put our weapons away. I've heard that one before. Please, unhand the girl. She's not harmed you. And who says you won't? I suppose our word as members of the king's court would mean little to you. You have five seconds to answer my god's damned question or she dies. Wait, you said your friends are turning up dead? Friends is a bit strong, but near enough. Are you a bastard, orphan, cripple, ethnic minority, or otherwise scorned by society? Yes, yes, no, no, and yes. Great investigating. Anyone could have told you that. Brennan, there's something about her that's important on its own. Separate from this whole traitor thing, isn't there? What in Selburn is this kid talking about? Whenever the heroes meet a bastard, or an orphan, or a one-armed priest, or whatever, and someone powerful is going around killing all of the one-armed priests, they're always important later on. Ignore him. He's just a boy with too many poems and fables in his head. I know a fable about a pretty girl who died because her friends talked too much. The boys are right. What? What? There's a good chance those sellswords were hired by one of the enemies of House Guernatal. Felgir, if I had to guess. Why? Let the girl go and we can talk. So some big fancy lords and ladies want me dead. But you guys just want to talk. Convenient. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, is she not? All eyes darted over to the sellsword with the razor stars in his chest. Would you wager her life on this Felgier thing? And wager my own. Brennan cautiously laid his axe at his feet. Nia did the same with her staff. Reluctantly, Yellowin lowered his bow and returned the loaded arrow to his quiver. Regan searched the party for a short eternity with her calculating eyes, and then released her hostage. Jen dashed over to Billy and shook as he held her. Regan knelt beside the wounded sellsword, who was nominally conscious but drooling blood, and put her dagger to his throat. Why are you here? Fuck off. I'm dead anyway. Death doesn't need to be an unpleasant experience, but I promise it can be... My father taught me, a man should never die on his knees. It's a good lesson. Whether or not it applies to you depends on how you define a man. She cut loose his belt, pulled down his leggings, and put her dagger not on his throat. A bounty! Who put it out? General Treft! This greatly disturbed Brennan. Good boy. She brought her knife back to his throat. Wait! Not like that. Nia came over to Regan and the soul sword. After sizing Nia up for a moment, Regan shrugged, stood, and walked away. Nia knelt beside the dying man, 
and pulled up his leggings. I'm cold. Nia kissed him on the forehead and put her hand over his heart. Quiet, child. Fear neither cold nor darkness of night, for soon you shall bask in the infinite light of Galadin's loving embrace. As the spirit leaves the body, so both return to their rightful place. If you had been there and looked closely, you might have seen the wisps of ice curling out of her fingers. You would certainly have seen the man's breathing greatly quicken, then slow, then stop completely. Nier traced the circle around his heart, closed his eyelids, and then stood somberly. You're first. Was a mercy. You did the right. The young humans looked rather forlorn, having never watched anyone die before today. Nelson chose to deal with his fear and grief by resetting the places at the bar. What did you do? His heart was already crawling. It only took a simple frost enchantment to stop it. Painlessly. Well, we are all very impressed, Miss Holy. How about you bring some of that frost enchantment this way? Regan held up her throwing hand, which had begun to blister. She noticed the young humans wincing. Advice for the young ones. If you ever find yourself in a fight where you're improvising with fire, something's gone very wrong. Nia picked up an abandoned flagon of ale and set to work again with her frost enchantment. This was when Regan noticed Jen's morally supportive attire. The fuck are you wearing? Armor? It's good for mobility. <laughs> mobility? <laughs> I've never lost a fight because my tits were too stiff. Hey, she feels sexy in it. He dabbed at his profusely bleeding nose. That's lovely. But I bet you prefer not to get stabbed. Am I right, dear? Billy, I think you need some ice, too. Nia had turned the ale into frozen slush, of which Regan grabbed a handful and let it melt in her hand. After she had walked away, a still-frightened Jen grabbed a handful as well and dabbed it on Billy's nose. All right, Grandpa, now would be a great fucking time to tell me what this is all about. If Traff put out the bounty, our situation is even more dire than I feared. I'm sorry that I misled you all. I hoped that by keeping this knowledge from you, I might better protect your safety and our mission. I doubt our enemies know everything, but they clearly know some, and we'll piece together the rest soon enough. It's time you all knew as well. What do you know of your forebears? I don't have forebears. You rich people have forebears. I had a beggar mother and a whore for a grandmother. Good. You know that much. Three days ago, Her Majesty High Queen Dagmar died in childbirth. The child was lost as well, leaving no known heir to the High Throne and enemies to House Gwernetal closing in. You'll forgive me for not shedding any tears for the decline of the monarchy? The family I have served my entire life is in tatters. And the king I am sworn to protect is possibly dead or imprisoned as we speak. I do not doubt that you've had a harder life than most kings. But if you've any decency left, show some respect. I'm sorry about your friends, okay? But I need to know why people with laws in front of their names give a shit about me all of a sudden. Did you know that King Gunther studied here as a young man? Most of his kind do. Gunther grew into a great man, but he was not immune to the weaknesses of young men. 
It was known to most of his court that he had once fathered a bastard. It was also known that his bastard died about twenty years ago. What was not known to anyone but Gunther and me, or so I thought, was that his bastard had a bastard who would now have been about twenty years. A look of realization crept over Regan's face. And now you're here, talking to me. I'm still confused. Of course you are. Erona Regan is the granddaughter of His Majesty High King Gunther Guernatol. As of three days ago, she is his last living kin, and thereby heir to House Guernatol. Tomorrow, we begin her campaign for the High Throne of Jordan. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Perry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading 